1: What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven, and I am your host, as always. And joining me for our third edition of the Getting to Know series is Mr. Jeff Mitchell, who is the host of the Frogcast. This is the uh, best place to go for TCU football uh, sources and input and conversations. Uh, so if you or your friends or whoever uh, are fans of the TCU Horn Frogs, make sure to give him a follow at the Frogcast on Twitter. And uh, Jeff, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here to talk about not only the Chargers but about TCU. So it looks like you got more than one player coming your way.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know we were joking on beforehand. You know I can't say we've ever had to have uh, one person talk about three different players that the Chargers selected. We had one year where the Chargers took uh, a Florida State Seminole and then a player who who started his college career at Florida State, but uh, never three guys all coming from the same school. So. Uh, really excited to dive into the backgrounds of, obviously, Quentin Johnston, Darius Davis, and Max Duggan. And, uh, yeah, it should be a fun conversation.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
1: So, obviously, we'll start with uh, Quentin. And, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about each of these guys kind of diving into their journeys to the NFL. In terms of uh, Quentin, um, let's talk a bit about his process. Obviously, he's a Texas kid. Um, when he was being recruited out out of, out of high school... Was TCU always considered the favorite? Were they kind of a dark horse who made a late push? Can you give us a little background on his decision to ultimately uh, choose TCU?
2: You know, Quentin comes out of Temple, Texas, and there's this entire corridor basically from DFW down to the north edge of San Antonio that if you got the top 22 recruits out of there, you could build a team that went to the playoffs every year. So he comes from a hotbed. Temple is, is an outstanding high school program. And you know, within forty, fifty miles of where he is, you could put together a division one team that would be competitive, let alone up and down the 35 corridor spine. Quinn Johnston was committed to Texas, all the mm-hmm. way up to right before National Signing Day, uh, they had had a change in staffing right before Signing Day with the wide receiver coach. And uh, TCU had stayed in active conversation, had been working the whole time to, you know, kind of be an option. You know, to just you know, with with recruiting, which is different than the NFL. Even if they commit to another team before Signing Day, you you know, you keep your staff on it, you stay in contact, you keep getting in touch with Mama and the Johnston family. Really liked TCU. And so when that change was made, I think it was going into Tom Herman's last year as the head coach at University Mm. of Texas. uh, Johnson wasn't happy with that change. And TCU had been there the entire time. And so he announced this is this likes to show how old I am. He announced not on Twitter, not on Instagram, but on Snapchat, which I did not and still (laughs) do not have. And uh, the guy that runs our website, Jeremy Clark, had texted me and said, do you know what Snapchat is? Can you help us get, you know, <laughs> and this guy lives in breeze and recruiting and keeping up with, with uh, high school students and communicating with them. So Quentin Johnston could have been and was going to be a Texas Longhorn. And one of the other stories that that came out leading up to the Fiesta Bowl was that he seriously considered leaving after his sophomore year to go to the mm-hmm. university of Oklahoma. And so it was a live option, especially with the transfer portal now where, yeah. You know, recruiting continues once a young man is on campus, especially a man of, of Johnson's caliber. You know, TCU obviously had coaching turn, a huge staff turnover. The the head coach that had recruited him, Gary Patterson, uh, had been relieved. They were bringing in an entire new offense, basically a retired entire new offensive staff. But they did keep Malcolm Kelly, who was this wide receiver coach who had been an All-American at Oklahoma. There's a famous rap video of him back, I think, in 07 and, in, and 08 for us olds. And they kept Doug Meacham. And those were two of the wide receiver coaches that Johnston had a good relationship with and Mm -hmm. the recruiting that continued even after he committed to Texas, stayed active and the Frogs were able to land him and they were able to keep him even after Sonny Dykes came in and Garrett Riley to come over and came in and take over the new program that made a run to the national championship game.
1: Yeah, lots of great background information. Obviously, uh, you know we've done our Washington State and USC interviews already. So our listeners hopefully are aware with the great work that 247 Sports is doing with recruiting stuff. So you mentioned his decision to ultimately stay, um, and obviously TCU, you know, reaped the benefits. I think him as well had a had a great season. How what was the conversation around how would Sonny Dykes maybe kind of take helped take Quentin's game to the next level? You know, I think it's because of Sonny's track record. Um producing great
2: quarterbacks, you know, Mm -hmm. Sonny has put quarterback, you know, quarterbacks that have thrived in college football, as well as those that have have gone on to the NFL, even in his time in Cal, which I don't think anybody talked about is just this, you know, magical run in the pac 12, uh, Sonny produces good quarterbacks and good quarterbacks make wide receivers go from good to great. And so I think the pitch was with, with Sonny, you know, he, he's obviously keeping Kelly and keeping uh, Doug Meacham that he had a good relationship with. But he's like, I'm going to take a good quarterback and we'll get to Max in a minute. But he took a good quarterback and can turn him into a great quarterback. And obviously, you know, the worst kept secret was everyone knew uh, Johnson was going to go pro after this year. He left after his third year. If the Frogs had, you know, played for the national title or the Frogs had gone six and six, uh, Quinton was going to go pro. So if you're going to go pro, might as well stay with a program that has served you well, you know, off the field, which, mm-hmm. they, you know, they, TCU had a great relationship with the family. He's clearly done um, thrived at TCU, but being able to bring Sonny in that it was a quarterback guru and Garrett Riley, who's now the offense coordinator at, at Clemson, but also had a good track record of not only having a great scheme, but the wisdom in college now is finding, all right, who do we have? And then how do we make that work? And obviously they use the strength that Quentin Johnston had get the ball downfield, and get the ball to him quick. He's he's great with catching the ball with his back to the defender. I'm Mm -hmm. sure you've seen numerous highlights if he catches it, fakes one way, spins the other, and next thing you know, he's racing down the sidelines untouched. I think all of that, um, with an opportunity of a loaded, with a roster that was clearly loaded coming off of a terrible season, convinced him to stick around even after the transition.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned his skill set. I think his it's a skill set that the chargers desperately needed, you know, and that ability to do both of those roles. Right. I think like my, I was talking on our show, my favorite stat about Quentin Johnston is that when he was a freshman, he averaged 8.9 yards after the catch and his average depth of target was like 19 yards. Yes. And then this past season, it was also, it stuck at 8.9, but his average depth of target this year was like 12 and a half.
2: Yeah. His ability, uh, to what to do with when the ball gets in his hands is when he's most dangerous. And so it doesn't really matter what kind of route you're putting him on. You feel really confident about what he's going to do, whether he's running a quick hitch or, you know, throw the ball deep and see what Quentin's going to do anywhere in between there. He's, yeah. he's able to catch it and he's able to do something once he catches it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously the, the video of him talking about his mother uh, retiring went, went viral after he got drafted and rightfully so um how do you feel like the family was embraced by TCU do you think that was I mean you talked a little bit about the coaching staff but do you think that Quentin's role in the community kind of lined up with that same mentality you know I think Quentin's role in the
2: community clearly uh you know matched up and and was able to thrive there at TCU you know as a guy that you know you know has his nose around recruiting all the time the guy that lives and dies with message boards Uh, I think I'm allowed to say through my tenure, some of these guys are just straight up hot dogs and prima donnas. Quentin Johnston has, you know, perhaps one of the most humble um, postures towards life, considering uh, the status that he had, you know, being one of the highest rated recruits in the country and come to TCU as a freshman. He never let that go to his head. Now he was confident. And if you wanted to talk trash on the field, he would talk it back, but that's not the same as being a guy that just, Puts his hoodie on, goes to class, signs every kid's autograph. Quentin Johnson was a fan favorite, not of just you know a bunch of dudes like me cheering them on, but but fourteen year olds that he always stuck around to give autographs and pictures to. And so his relationship with the student body, which is not huge, you know, TCU is not a huge state school. Sure. Uh, so there's an intimacy with the student body. Every single person I know that's interacted with Quentin Johnson, since he had time for them, he had a smile for him, he had a picture for him, and he never thought of himself as as above all of that. And let me tell you, I have met some guys that are backup defensive backs that think they're too good to, to give an <laughs> autograph to a 14-year-old.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that's a, that's a very real thing. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm just curious in general, and I don't know if I'll ever get the chance to ask him this, uh, are there any like basketball stories about Quentin Johnson? Cause we, we saw a video of him doing a between the legs dunk in Crocs and <laughs> I'm I, sure the
2: coaching staff. <laughs> <loved that. laughs>
1: and so like, we've, we've heard some stories from like other prospects or uh, right. Uh, you know, like playing in, uh, uh, pickup games or something like that. What was his uh, reputation like as a basketball player?
2: All right. I do not have any great insights uh, on his basketball skills okay. or, or, or or a lore about his ability on the court other than if if the Chargers decide to do a pickup three-on-three, he better be the first pick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think he's, it's safe to say that he'll be at, at one of the top considerations for sure. Yeah. yeah. When I saw that video of him doing it between-the-legs dunk and Crocs, I was like, okay, this this guy's built different.
2: He's he's just a, a you know a nickel short of six five, and, and obviously the guy can jump, and his wingspan mm-hmm. is insane.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I always like asking this question, especially because of the like guys like Quentin, right? Would you say it's a fair assessment that Quentin exceeded expectations as a as a football player at TCU?
2: You know, the thing with Quentin is. He exceeded expectations, but those expectations got exceeded in just a few moments. Mm. And so, you know, he had a game, you know, had a had a touchdown against the University of Texas that, that iced the game, that moved the game from 10 to nothing to 17 to nothing. He exceeded expectations by winning the Fiesta Bowl. I kind of, you know, there was that, if you watch that game, there's that moment where TCU has a lead and Michigan is fighting back and you feel, I, I was in the stadium, I felt the momentum shrinking from TCU. So what does Quentin Johnson do third and long takes it to the house 78 yards and just puts a dagger through the heart of, of Michigan fans, which I will talk about until the day I die. And so I think the expectations were exceeded, not because he was a first round pick, not because, um, you know, almost nine yards after the catch, but that he took a good program to heights that they had, bumped up against numerous times, but it never knocked through. And he did it in a year that nobody predicted it. And so Quentin Johnston will be remembered forever on just two or three plays. And, and I, I don't want to say that should outshine an amazing three-year career, but mm-hmm. if the Frogs went seven and five and he still got picked up in the first round, uh, it would have not uh, met the expectations that clearly uh, you know, lighting up Michigan numerous times in the Fiesta Bowl and the semifinals was able to accomplish.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I really like the way that you phrased that. So I think it's also a good segue here because uh, Darius Davis was on a Chargers podcast recently and said he would describe his game as a party starter. Uh, yeah. So we had Quentin Johnston as the guy who's maybe a bit of the closer. Maybe Darius Davis is the party starter. Um, what was Darius's background You know, coming to TCU? I, I, I don't think, at least to my knowledge, he wasn't as highly touted as Quentin. Uh, so what was his process arriving at TCU like? All right, so Clinton
2: was a highly rated four-star. You know, just depending on the year, he could have been a five-star, um, just in terms of the way the numbers shook out. Darius Davis was a three-star recruit out of the state of Louisiana, and for those of us that live and die with recruiting, we acknowledge... There is just something different about Louisiana kids. You know, I think it's they have the highest per capita of players in the NFL. Um, there is just something about the fight inside of a Louisiana kid. So Darius Davis w- w- was a track star in, in in high school and had, I think he won the state championship in the 200 meter dash in Louisiana. He is clearly a freak player with speed coming out of high school. And so, we, you know, the Frogs were excited to land him. But it wasn't like the fanfare when they when they landed, uh, you know, like when they landed Duggan or when they landed Quentin Johnson, who were both highly rated four stars that were at the national camps and all that kind of stuff. But when you had a kid with that kind of speed from um, a state that produces that kind of player, you knew that he had the potential to do something that could uh, uh, obviously thrive at the power five level. No one thought. Darius Davis coming in was going to be the workhorse or, or you know, be the guy that you're going to, all right, it's third and seven. We know it's going to Darius Davis, but like sure. you said, he, he gets the party started. I go back to the Texas tech game this year. Frogs go out, stick Texas tech, make them punt right away. First thing do, Darius Davis does is take a punt return to the house. And it, it just sets, sets the tone for a game is yeah. that he knows how to utilize that speed on the field in space. Like, like few players, For TCU have since since Jeremy Curley who had a long NFL career not only as a wide receiver but made a lot of money returning kicks
1: yeah absolutely and I know uh obviously I went I don't know if you can see my signs behind me I went to the University of Utah Oh, Uh, so there's (laughs) a there's a strong uh, you know history between Utah and TCU and I know much like Kyle Weddingham Gary Patterson is is a big you know advocate for special teams and I'm sure that that was a big reason why Darius Davis was so effective is because Gary Patterson knew exactly which kind of buttons to push on special teams.
2: I think Jeremy Curley threw a touchdown pass in the 2010 TCU game at Utah. That was I don't, that sounds two. about right. Yeah, That was, <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll just move. I, you know, we'll, we'll call it even. We should have won the 08 game, and we didn't. But, man, that 2010 game was one of the best beatdowns I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, it was not fun. It was not fun <laughs> for me.
2: <laughs> I, I can imagine.
1: Uh, so, what kind of what kind of role did Gary Patterson have in, in Darius Davis's career? Because, like I mentioned, you know he was he was a very well renowned special teams coach. Aside from obviously everything he did on the defensive side as well.
2: Well, Darius Davis was on the field early, right away as a freshman, and you know I think we can say all this now. He did not have good hands his first year. Mm-hmm. Like there were numerous plays where it's just drop, 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 wide open, uh, setting it setting it up for him to get the ball in space on a short hitch. his hands made a big leap basically from his freshman year improvement all the way until his junior year. And so Davis came in and and got on the field right away, but no one thought there was this um, convergence of, of his speed as well as his ability to catch the ball in space, catch the ball while moving. And there was, you know, everything, you know, basically everything 2018, 19, 20, 21 was a lot of chaos on the offensive side of the ball for TCU. Every TCU Mm. fan will tell you that was not the, that was the low watermark of of the Gary Patterson era. And so he didn't have a whole lot working for him. We'll talk about that with Max. We didn't have consistency of offensive coordinator. No one knew what the frogs were trying to do on offense. And I think Darius was kind of not only because of his inability to catch the ball early on, uh, he was kind of a victim of all of that. Mm. Um, One of the things Davis that we need to acknowledge coming um, to to talk about his impact potentially at the next level, he's a fifth-year player, and in some ways he was kind of a fifth-year contributor. He had that COVID year. He came back. uh, Tay Barber, who was another wide receiver for the frogs that caught a touchdown pass in the Fiesta Bowl. They were both five-year uh, players that had that extra COVID year of, of yeah. eligibility. And I, I think Darius, I mean, both of them, but specifically here for our uh, conversation, Darius made the most of that. He would not have been drafted last year. He would have been an undrafted free agent, and everybody would have said, let's see what we can do to get him to return kicks. But that fifth year, with the conversions of the offense that finally had some sense of direction, he, you know, being able to catch the ball as well as return kicks, uh, uh, put him where he's at.
1: So the returning kicks thing was a new thing for him this year.
2: No, catching the ball and being a centerpiece of the gotcha. offense I would argue was uh and being able to catch the ball on more than go deep and hope that the safety and from the slot yeah. and hope that the safety trips.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know cuz it's funny you mentioned that because like I I watched Darius Davis on on film, right? And I see like a a, a solid receiver like I've talked about on our show. I feel like he's he he's a kind of player that could, you know, down the road push for some legit receiver snaps and there's a play I want to say against West Virginia, where he runs kind of a post corner route and he Mm -hmm. flips the guy around and then he he beats him after the catch too. So it's, it's interesting, like our perspective as, you know, somebody who watches just the one year usually, unless it's like a, like I watched 2021 and uh, 2022 for Quentin, Mm-hmm. But for a guy like Darius, like, I'm not going to go back and watch 2021. I understand. So that's why I like to hear about the kind of growth that you guys see on a year to year basis from a player like Darius.
2: Yeah, I saw a lot of growth in terms of his route running. And I saw a lot of growth in terms of his ability to catch the ball and be able to catch the ball with his hands and catch the ball in his hands um, on the with with his hands on the run that made astronomical leaps over the last year or so.
1: That's great. Love to hear that. Mm -hmm. um what was his role as as a leader was he the special teams captain or what can you say about Darius in the locker room at TCU I think in terms of locker room
2: his a couple of things that contributed to his ability to be a leader whether he was a captain or not five years in the program he was never a knucklehead you know I hate Mm -hmm. to reduce it to that but this is a dude with a degree. This is a guy that uh, had no off-field issues. This is a guy that clearly had seen a lot of transition. And so I think what uh, how he contributed in terms of leadership was, I'm told he was one of the first guys to buy into the new regime. And mm-hmm. so when, when, we, when you had Dykes coming in, Davis was on board right away. So a couple of these guys that could have been undrafted free agents, get their first check and bet on themselves said, we're coming back. And obviously, you know, the the rate on return for that for Davis was high, but he had buy-in for the for the Sonny Dykes era, and it's clearly paid off for him figuratively and literally.
1: Yeah, I would I would say so. That fourth round check is going to be a much nicer check uh, than an undrafted free agent one would be Um, his role with uh, that kind of offense. I'm curious about just like how it may be changed, because like I mentioned, I see him running routes downfield. I see him running, you know, corners and things like that was it maybe just kind of this new regime had a better vision for him i mean we can talk about max and in, in a second here but his I, role specifically how did you see that change on offense
2: i think this regime had a, a better vision for him they knew how to they obviously knew how to set up matchups and so you know his, his speed is is you know docu- you know it's documented just how ridiculous it is. There's a, mm-hmm. uh, a a jet sweep that he took against SMU where they they claim they they clocked him at like 22.7 miles an hour streaking down yeah. the sidelines. And so they were able to maximize those matchups because you clearly you're like oh my gosh we can't let Quentin Johnston go deep. Jared Wiley is a tight end that they clearly had to account for. Uh, you start accounting for a couple of things as well as Kendra Miller who was drafted by the Saints in the backfield. It's real easy to forget about a guy like Darius Davis. And I think that they were able to maximize that. How they sat down and drew that up, that's not where I dwell. But I know sure. that they were able to get the ball to him in space and able to make things happen.
1: Yeah, you know, I know Chargers fans are particularly excited about his ability as a punt returner and kick mm-hmm. returner, but I, I think there's gonna be some fun juice for for him as a as a gadget player and a potential feature as a receiver in the league. So
2: Well, I think so too. They wouldn't draft him that high to return kicks. Right. Right. You know, that's clearly um something that he's going to be able to offer more than probably anybody else in the draft. But they, yeah. they expect him to be on the field, know the offense, and catch the ball.
1: Yeah, no, you're not uh you're not spending a fourth round pick on somebody who's returner only. So no, I'm I'm excited for Darius. Um obviously uh we'll shift gears here and wrap up a conversation about uh Max Duggan. Uh a guy that I, I was kind of surprised the Chargers drafted because they have a, a backup on a legit contract here. Um you mentioned Max Duggan was highly touted. Um, as a recruit, what was that? What was his journey to, t- to TCU like as somebody who had seemingly other options?
2: Max was a four-star quarterback out of Western Iowa, out of Council Bluffs. And so, if we're talking about temp- uh, talking about Quentin Johnston being from the I-35 corridor between TC- uh, uh, DFW and San Antonio, I grew up in Iowa. Let me just tell you, Western Iowa is not a hotbed of Division <laughs> One football players. <laughs> and so, you know, he fits all of the cliches. He's, he's literally a coach's kid. He is a four sport athlete. In Iowa, you can play all four sports. They do baseball in the summer there because it's still, you know, 40 degrees in, in May. Yeah. And so he's a four sport athlete. He contributed at in, in, in every sport. He's got a dad that, you know, probably took, started taking him in the weight room when he was 11 years old. And he had a lot of opportunities in the Midwest. I know Iowa State was in on him. I know Ohio State had strong interest in him. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stories I picked up after the Fiesta Bowl was Iowa wanted him. And he's like, I'm sorry, I want to go to a program that values quarterbacks. That throws <laughs> you know, the football. <laughs> yes, yes, that throws the football and it runs more than a fullback sweep. <laughs> yeah. Whatever that Iowa <laughs> offense is. Uh, so, you know, so, so it's from that that he clearly... Has, has skills. He's clearly, he has in some ways, is an athletic freak. But the downside of being a four-sport athlete, and I always encourage kids to be multiple-sport athletes, is that you don't get that time to really focus on this one thing. You right. don't have you don't get that chance to go to every passing academy. You don't in in Western Iowa that that the the access to all the things that that kids in big cities have. We got trainers. We got seven on seven with the entire state that shows up at College Station for a seven on seven weekend. Where you you know if you go scroll around, you can run into forty power five kids in ten minutes. Yeah, Max didn't have any of that, and still was highly touted, four star quarterback, committed to TCU, and was the starter basically from the get go on campus his freshman year.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about very different, like in terms of draft stories, right. But like Justin Herbert was a three star or was a three sport athlete up in Oregon and he didn't do any of the, you know, uh, passing quarterback stuff. And then people are like uh, shocked that a guy like that can improve as a passer. Like it's just, you know, every, every player has these kind of journeys, but I think uh, as NFL draft fans, we tend to forget that these players can can still improve once they get to the league.
2: Yes, they can improve. They can improve in college. You know, let's be honest. Max had Max got drafted off of one year. You know, he played for four years, and he got drafted off of his senior year, Heisman Trophy runner up. Mm-hmm. Um, but he obviously will continue to have an opportunity to to grow and figure out how to contribute as his early years in the NFL.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I know. Uh, probably most people are a little familiar with his uh, story in terms of overcoming the, the health challenges that he he was dealt with. Um, how did you see maybe the team kind of rally around him while he was, uh, and maybe you can kind of dive into a little bit about his, his health challenges as well. Well, he had, he, from what I understand, they bring, we're running COVID screenings on
2: hearts, especially for people that had had COVID and they were trying to stay on top of that, especially when we were at the beginning of the pandemic and you don't exactly know what's going on. Uh, and, and they found a heart issue that required surgery right away. And that, the team rallied around him. First game of the season, he sits out the first half because he hasn't been able to practice at the pace. And he goes out there in the second half and almost leads the Frogs back again, uh, to a victory against an Iowa State team that played for the Big 12 title and beat Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the team rallied around him, but that, that's just kind of a, a, a great illustration of who Max is. Oh, I had heart surgery. What's the pace that I can return back to get into the game? I know people told me he was real frustrated and didn't get to start in the opening game against <laughs> Iowa State in 2020 because he thinks they could have won the game if he'd have played the whole game.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, his, his senior season didn't exactly start off, you know, on a, on a great note either. Um, mm-hmm. how, did you, how do you feel like him being, not benched because he didn't start the season, right? But like, mm-hmm. how do you feel like him being demoted really maybe kind of brought the best out of him?
2: Everything I had heard leading up to the opening weekend against Colorado in 2022 was Max has improved in Chandler. His one Chandler Morris, who's going to be the starting quarterback for TCU this year, has won the job, and that Max had an opportunity to maybe step out or find a way to preserve that year, and that he bought in even more. Now here's the here's the thing about Max Duggan. Morris outworked or not outworked him. Morris outperformed him all through the summer and earned the starting job. Morris recovered, saw time later in the season, and everybody I talk to says Chandler Morris still looks better than Max Duggan in practice. But when mm. the lights come on and the game is there, nobody can touch what Max Duggan does. Max fits all of the terrible cliches that we that – we, he's a gamer. He plays harder <laughs> than everybody. He's like another coach on the field. He, in some ways, he's really a, the fastest H-back you've ever seen that plays quarterback. Mm. That's what Max Duggan is. They had to teach him how to slide this year. They told him you cannot be, you know, plowing through these people like your Earl Campbell, uh, if you want to stay healthy, especially after Chandler Morris went down. (laughs) You know, you cannot, you cannot do this. But Max plays with an intensity and a love for the game that sounds so stereotypical. It sounds like a Friday Night Lights movie. It just happens to be true, and he is the embodiment of that.
1: Yeah, I mean. As a casual fan, like you see a guy like him, and I, I, Utah fans will tell you that Cam Rising is, is probably a similar story. That's there. a
2: similar story, yes.
1: Um, but you know, you just like you saw what he did in that, like the Big 12 title game. I don't, know, I know TCU lost that yeah. game, but like what he did in that game, just dragging them to, you know, Inches from from you know overtime and potentially winning that game. Like Mm -hmm. you there just are guys who know how to get teams, you know, across the finish line or or at least, you know, inches from the finish line.
2: You go back and watch that last drive of regulation. It's 28-20. The frogs are down. And he does everything you'd ever ask a quarterback to do. He knows how to hit the open receiver, he knows how to uh, uh, tuck the ball and run when there's a breakdown and the running man and he knows everybody's going deep, he just spins out and races down the sideline to get them down into range to be able. And then the next, um, I think it's at the eight yard line, they snap the ball to him and he, he just basically turns to the left and runs. And uh, Chris Fowler re- yells, how does he have anything left in the tank? And yeah. he basically stumbles in the end zone, falls down, Wiley, the tight end, goes over and tries to pick him up. And he's like, le- le- just let me lay here for a minute.
1: <laughs> Give me a second.
2: <laughs> Give me a second. And then he comes out and, and hits the open tight end, Wiley, on, on a two-point conversion to tie the game.
1: So it's it's safe to say Max Duggan is going to have a lot of fans for a long time in in the TCU program.
2: Yes, he will have a lot of fans for a long time inside of the TCU program. He had that chance to come back. He had he had a COVID year. If he wished to come back, Came, left after four seasons. But as we like to say, that man will never buy a beer again in Tarrant County, Texas.
1: I yeah, love to hear it. Love to hear it. Well, Jeff, this has been awesome, man. A lot of great information on all these guys uh hopefully we'll get some uh new chargers fans down in uh down in tcno uh you know hey, three he, guys he, kind of you had today. charger
2: fans when Ladanian tomlinson played there i was watching the chargers all the time when lt was playing
1: that's the reason why i'm a Chargers fan man i mean uh, i grew up in utah not a lot of not a lot of chargers fans in utah it's mostly you know broncos fans cowboys mm-hmm. fans but that LT guy was just different on Sundays. And, uh, you know, he made a lot of a lot of charge fans will tell you that LT is the reason they are charge fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, guys, uh, listening, if you, like I said, if you're a TCU fan or if you know a TCU, TCU fan, make sure to send them Jeff's way. He does some great work covering the Horned Frogs. Uh, Jeff, looking forward to it, man. Hope maybe the uh, Utes and Horned Frogs will be uh, conference mates again sometime down the road. At this point, it's highly likely, <laughs> even though
2: I have no clue what's going to happen.
1: But yes, I don't think anybody does, man. I, like we I, keep I on would, hearing, like, oh, Pac-12 media oh, rights are around the corner.
2: This. I know. I I would, you know, there was a day that I wished like the eight best teams in the Big Twelve and the eight best teams in the Pac-12 would kind of create a sixteen-team league. Uh, I, you know, I would love for Utah, Oklahoma State, TCU, th- those would be great games every yes, year. Yes, every year. Percent.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Would love to see that. Well uh if we come across that road some some sometime i'm sure we'll we'll have some more conversations but uh jeff thanks again man and like i said charge fans go check him out and uh if you're a tcu fan i don't know what you're doing you know go follow him all right jeff thanks so much man
2: thanks so much great to be with you
1: sick of being upsold at gyms.